Hey, welcome to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey, your host. And if you're tuning in for the very first time, one, welcome. But two, just know that this podcast is meant for physical therapists and physical therapist students who are looking to grow your fundamentals, but in bite-sized segments of time so that you have time to do whatever else it is that you want to do in the day. So today we're talking about stress fractures, in particular femoral neck stress fractures, what exactly they are, who gets them, and then how do we confirm that this actually happens? Because this is a diagnosis that the earlier you catch it, the better it is for the patient. So definitely want it on your radar. Okay. So first of all, let's take a step back and just talk about what a stress fracture is. Essentially, it's just a mismatch between your bone strength and then the mechanical load being put on the bone. A lot of times it's just in a person, their osteoblasts cannot make up new bone to keep up with the rate of resorption by the osteoclast. There's a mismatch between those two rates. So now here's another thing about people who are at risk for getting these. Okay. So we talked about the rate of osteoblasts not being able to keep up with osteoclast, but also what is the quality of the bone that we're dealing with in the first place? Do they have some sort of bone metabolic disease? Do they have an energy deficiency or low vitamin D or do they have female athlete triad, um, which is disordered eating, amenorrhea, oligomenorrhea, or decreased bone mineral density? What is the quality of the bone that we're dealing with and how does that quality stand up to the, the load that's being put on the body? So how does this even happen in the first place? Well, if we're talking about this last example, it's an overuse injury. So think about this oftentimes in your athletes who are doing repetitive submaximal loading on the bone over and over and over again. They are not programming appropriately to where when they are increasing the load on their bones, they're also programming appropriate rest time so that their body can actually adapt to that load and grow stronger as a result or recover. So think of this in like your running athletes or your military recruits. And then often they're going to complain about, oh, I just, I increased my volume or my intensity quite a bit. There was a rapid change in the distance or pace or volume, or maybe they did cross training without adequate time for adaption. Um, Now we're talking specifically about the femoral neck. Okay. So there's other areas that can get stress fractures in this bone, like in the femoral shaft where you would use the fulcrum test for, but, but we're not talking about that today. In the femoral neck, think of there being two different types. They're not the same. There's tension type and compression type. So tension type in the femoral neck is more on the superior lateral aspect of the neck. Um, Basically, tension, think more of a pooling injury. These are at the highest risk for complete fracture. Definitely don't like those. Not that we like any of them. But compression, you're going to see as more inferior medial femoral neck. So again, the names literally just describe the type of forces that are being put on that area of the femur. Okay? So when you're looking at the anatomy, just think of where, does it make sense that the superior lateral aspect, there would be pulling force or tension force? And does it make sense for the inferior medial femoral neck to have compression due to repetitive load? So these patients are often going to complain of hip or groin pain that's worse with weight bearing and range of motion, especially with internal rotation. 
because with weight bearing, we're loading an area that's already agitated more. They may have focal tenderness on the area of suspected injury. They may have some soft tissue swelling. And their symptoms, they might talk about, they started only with training, but now their symptoms got gotten worse to where they even have pain with their, their normal day-to-day activities. So if these patients, so if you're suspecting this, uh, oftentimes these patients are going to get an x-ray and that x-ray may come across as normal. So an MRI is actually going to be the most sensitive. If it does show up on their x-ray, they may have some periosteal elevation, sclerosis, cortical thickening, maybe even a potential fracture line. But MRI is going to be the way to go. So MRI is going to be the most sensitive, like 88%. And this just allows us to catch those a little bit quicker. So there are several grading systems. One in particular is a Fredrickson classification system for stress fractures. So grade one is where there's only periosteal edema. Grade two, there's bone marrow edema. And this only will show up on the T2 weighted and if you need a refresher on MRIs, T1 versus T2, you can go back to episode 18 for that. Just a brief MRI overview. But T2, grade 2, just think that. Okay. Now, grade 3, they're going to have bone marrow edema, but that's going to show up on T1 and T2. So just think T1 plus T2 equals 3, grade 3. Grade 4, it splits it up into two. So 4A, you're going to have multiple discrete areas of intracortical signal changes. 4B, you're going to have linear areas of intracortical signal change correlating with a frank stress fracture. So if you can see a periosteal reaction on an x-ray, it's probably already a grade 3 or grade 4 on the scale, which is not good. So your patient says, I have a femoral neck stress fracture. What now? So the earlier we catch it, the better, like I said, because the earlier we can do something about it. But it's if they are doing conservative, typically think of it in like two phases. Phase one, we're going to modify their weight bearing. So if there is too much low to an area that is healing from a load-related injury, we need to offload it so that we can allow it some space to heal. We might do some activity modification, like maybe they'll do some stuff in the pool or cycling or elliptical. It just depends on how bad it is and where they are on that healing timeline. In phase two, what we're looking for is pain-free rest. So once they have that, they can go to a gradual return to activity. But generally, however long it takes for an injury to become pain-free, they're probably going to need at least the same amount of time, if not more, to perform a graduated return to activity. So that would be something useful to ask your patients who are maybe sent to PT after that diagnosis when they're ready to return to sport so that you can help them build realistic expectations. So if your patient has a stress fracture, it's not a bad idea to ask them if they have a history of stress fractures. Oftentimes, these patients are also going to be tested for their vitamin D and calcium levels, possibly get some sort of supplementary diet. Um, And it's not really a bad idea to get maybe counseling for a nutritional consult or if they are experiencing stress fractures due to like female athlete triad, maybe getting also some counseling for that as well. But if the stress fracture is unstable enough, 
the surgical option is usually an ORIF. If you have questions, you know where to find me and just reach out at ptsnackspodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram if you have Instagram at ptsnackspodcast. Otherwise, I'll be starting an email soon, probably in the beginning of the year. You can go ahead and sign up for that on my website. Um, there's a link there. I promise not to spam you. It's probably going to be more so sending out study tips that will help you. So if you want some help studying, great. If you don't, don't sign up. It's not a big deal. If you want to support the show, tell someone you know about it, that you're enjoying it, that would benefit from it too, that it's relevant to them. Um, and write a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps me out as well. If you need some CEUs and maybe you're limited on time or resources, you've got family to take care of, you can't go on your weekends off to go to some CEU course, um, follow the link in the show notes to MedBridge. They are offering $175 off for an entire year. So depending on what package you get, you can pay for an entire year to get some CEUs for $200 or $250 just to do at your own pace. I, it is an affiliate link, just FYI, but I wouldn't recommend it if I didn't use it myself. So something to keep in mind. And then if you want to support the show monetarily, there's also a link for buy me a coffee. Okay. Um, thank you so much for tuning in and until next time. <laughs>